Welcome in. It is the BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. We're recording. It's dark outside, but this is not an after dark edition. This is a regular edition. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Big numbers for Dave after dark on Saturday night, Dave. Hey, I mean, what can I say? I bring the people out. The people were upset, though, that you were not, uh, you know, sauced. Yeah. It's they, probably they, for the, they, it's honestly probably for the better. That one was was real late. That, <laughs> that, one, that one was much later than the UCLA one. It was pretty late, especially I did the post game zoom with Luke Fickle, and then by the time we got around to recording the podcast, and, and, and we were going to do like a 30, 20, 30 minute podcast, it ended up I think fifty two minutes. Uh, I think we stopped recording Dave After Dark at like two thirty in the morning, so it was uh, it was a little bit of a late night, but. As you recall, Bearcats big win over SMU, forty-two to thirteen. We are uh, we'll we'll hit on that a little bit. We've got a special guest today because we did Dave after dark. We didn't have you know we're not we're not going to rehash all of that and give you our thoughts again on SMU. So we thought we'd open it up and have a, a special guest this week, and we are joined a very special guest this week, and we are joined by none other than my guy who I wanted to talk to his entire senior season. But he wouldn't cut his hair or shave his beard, so Luke Fickle would not allow him in front of a video camera. I could have interviewed him uh, audio only, but I don't think you get the essence of Kyle Trout on audio. So we are welcoming in former Bearcat, uh, transferred from Ohio State, graduated in three years from Ohio State. Very impressive, by the way. Uh, Has married well out of his league. (laughs) Is now enjoying life up in Dayton, Ohio. None other than my friend Kyle Trout. Kyle, welcome in. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm doing great. How are you? How was that intro? I think it's perfect. All right. Good. Good to hear. Uh, Kyle gives us a, I wanted an, a, a different perspective because I, I love seeing um, the depth that is starting to develop along this offensive line as we're starting to see young guys that have been brought in over the past couple recruiting classes start to cycle their way. Uh, into that offensive line, and I thought, what better way? We've already talked to Garrett Campbell. We're done with him. Um, we don't have any use for him anymore. So we brought in the guy that, that played next to him and, and his best friend, uh, and much more personality, Kyle Trout, than Garrett Campbell. <laughs> I, I promised Kyle when we did this that we would bust Garrett's balls as much as humanly possible. I, I appreciate that. that. That's exactly what you would want from me, right? Absolutely. Wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> All right, Kyle, let's get into it. Um, SMU 42 to 13, Bearcats win. Bearcats now move up to number seven in the country as someone that kind of took a blind leap of faith into this thing when you left Ohio State to come here in Luke Fickle's first season as a graduate transfer. Um, we joked right before we started recording, you, you suffered through that first year when. Uh, you guys very easily could have won one game. And then the second year, shockingly, when everybody before the season said, if this team could just make a bowl game, that would be a successful year. You win 11 games. Um, what has it been like watching this team jump all the way up to number seven in the country and, and even have people buzzing about maybe their inclusion into the college football playoffs? What's that been like from afar? You know, I couldn't be prouder of these guys. I've, I've known personally a lot of the guys that are playing and starting on the offensive line, and I know exactly how they feel. And, and 
the success that they're enjoying and obviously a little bit of me is jealous i wish we could have been there <laughs> but you know i'm i'm, I'm happy for them um, I, I hope they can keep it going and i hope they know that they've got you know the best offensive line coach in football and the best head coach in football and they better cherish that and keep going hard before we get to your time at uc let's let's look back a little bit at the, that game on saturday I know you said you felt it was um, – this is something you told me. Uh, the people don't know this yet because you haven't told them. You're, you're about to. <laughs> <laughs> you felt it was the first time you thought that they they really played well uh, offensively, and it was with a true freshman at center and a redshirt sophomore at left guard. Uh, when you watched that game, I know you looked you, – left guard was your spot, so obviously you, you had your eye on Dylan Quinn. Uh, pretty intently what did you see from the offensive line and and more importantly what did you see from those two young guys in their first ever career starts I definitely watched the two young guys more um, I you know I saw two things that really uh, I think is a, a testament to how great of a coach um, coach Crook is and how you know how great those two guys are at taking coaching uh, the first thing would be they didn't play slow like a typical young guy first start, you know, offensive lineman would, would play. Um, typically, uh, a young guy doesn't know every single play. And so what he's doing when he's down in his stance, instead of just getting in his stance and knowing exactly what he's going to do, he's sitting there in his stance and thinking. And then he gets scared and then he snaps the ball. He's unsure. And then he slowly goes through the motions because he doesn't know what he's doing. And I saw those guys, you know, firing out, moving guys around, running their feet, and and really getting after it. I know that's one thing that Coach Crook is coaching him up to, but he's also he was able to get that, you know, little the, the scared Bambi out of him. And then uh, the the second thing I'd have to say is, you know, I think Dylan, I think O'Quinn had one false start which I think is, is something that would happen more if these guys were like actually afraid. I think they were, they were prepared, uh, you know, and the way they look and the, the way the strength staff has developed them is just insane. If you, if you line up that offensive line, I wouldn't think any of them were freshmen. Dave. You, talk, you mentioned coach crook and he, he seems like a character. I always laugh when they all, when they send out one of these like you seen red, you seen black recruiting tweets. He always screws it up. It's always just like a screenshot. It's not the GIF or GIF, whatever it's called. But just give us a little bit more background on him, the relationship he builds with the linemen, his his coaching technique, like what you think some of the biggest things that he kind of excels at, and why the line's been able to have. Pretty good success since he's been at UC. <laughs> I think Coach Crook is hilarious. Um, <laughs> you know the he he doesn't know technology well. Um, he's he's your stereotypical you know from West Virginia uh, old white guy that loves everybody and treats everybody fairly and with respect, but he. I just saw like for an example, he'll sit in the back of the room and he'll be, 
you know, running through the plays, and then he'll crack just a terrible joke. I mean, it's not funny. But the way he says it with his, you know, his his deep voice and he'll laugh and sometimes it'll just go, uh, it's, I, I don't know why. I think it's just the funniest thing. And, and the fact that, um, you know, when, when I came in, um, I'm not gonna lie. I was really nervous about, you know, I, I felt like I had to start. I was coming from big, bad Ohio state. I, I needed to be that number one guy in the room and I, I needed to perform. And <clears throat> one thing, that he did pretty early on was he just allowed me to be me. He didn't care. You're good. Go ahead. Oh, okay. He, he, he allowed me to be me. He didn't care that I goofed off a lot. He didn't care that, you know, sometimes I'd be uh, running a few minutes late because I'd, forgot my shoe in the locker room or something stupid. He, as long as I showed up and I gave him my all, I mean, he was, he was all about it. And I think that's what he does. That's how he develops that great relationship with, with everybody that he coaches is because he really learns who you are as an individual. And he lets you thrive that way. He doesn't try to force you into a box and say, here, play for me this way. He realizes who you are and he finds out your strengths and, and what you like to hear. And he, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll feed into that. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, he, he, it's, it's tough to, it's, it's tough to, to grasp without actually hanging out with him. It's tough to explain, you know, how, how funny he is. Um, and how I mean, we we used to he used to make fun of us. We used to make fun of him. And like a lot of people think like, oh, that's disrespectful. You're making fun of your coach. But I remember one time we were preparing for the UCF game. We knew it was going to be super loud. So <laughs> we were developing the silent cadence. He was talking about how uh, one, one of his teams wanted to hold hands years ago. And so they held hands. And he's like, I don't want you guys to do any of that. That's stupid. So the first play, the first play out on Tuesday practice, they have, they got the the crowd noise blaring on the speakers as loud as possible. Nobody can hear anything. And Garrett and I go out there and we hold hands. And he he stopped the play. He came and ran up and he's he's yelling at us. He, you know, it's just the the him being able to to joke around with his players was great, and that's. That's one thing that made, you know, my two years in Cincinnati the, the two best years in college football. We've seen several guys, whether it was this week with uh, with Dylan O'Quinn and Jake Renfro or last year even with Darius Harper, guys come in that either hadn't played because they were freshmen or hadn't played because they were playing a different sport. But it seems like we've had quite a few where they've come in and it's I wouldn't say seamless, but you just don't really notice like you would expect, you know, something like that to be like, oh, here's where there's going to be a gaping hole or where we can, we're really at disadvantage. Is there something that he teaches or just the way that the relationship is built that you think kind of adheres itself to those quick transitions? You know, I, I think he, he does things, just little things. Like he tells people that he believes in them. And that's one thing that, you know, some people might think that's something stupid, but as a college football player, most of the time, the only the only feedback you're getting from a coach is 
you're getting screamed at. And it's never good. You're not hearing about any any good things you do. You're only hearing about the bad things you do. And for some guys, they just crumble under that. And for some guys, they do fine. For for I think for a lot of guys, when you tell them you believe in them, even if you don't, which I don't, I don't know if he doesn't believe in anybody. I, you know, I'm sure I'm sure he believes in everybody in his room. But even even I think even if he didn't truly really believe in somebody, he would he would tell them, you know, I know you're going to do well. And it's it's not from a selfish standpoint. I don't think. I think he he's, he says that because, you know, if, if the offensive line sucks, he gets fired. Obviously, everybody knows that. But I think he's he's telling people that because he wants them to do well, even if he doesn't really, even if he thinks they're going to have a rough game, he's still going to, you know, he had, he's built that relationship where he makes people believe in themselves because he kind of forces them to because he believes in them. Offensive line play probably one of the harder things for a fan to watch and really understand what the player is supposed to be doing on each specific play. What are some things when you watch as a former player that you could tell, you know, like someone that loves football, but maybe he hasn't played or didn't play offensive line, like watch what this guy does. This will tell you whether he's going to succeed or, or fail on kind of a play by play basis. I like to watch um, towards the end of the play when their their block is kind of over. They could just kind of stand there and be in the way. Um, one thing that I really look for is that they're still running their feet. And Coach Crook likes to watch this too, and that's what he coaches. But at the end of the play, if they can if they can just reach their arm out and barely get in front of the guy, I mean that can be the difference between you know, Michael Warren running for a touchdown. I know he's not on the team anymore, but that's, you know, that's who I was blocking for. But, you know, somebody running for a touchdown and somebody not. And, I mean, I can't tell you. You kind of saw that on the Doak's fourth down run when James got the uh, unsportsmanlike penalty because he just pancaked that dude and, like, just kept driving him. And then he stood over him and flushed on him. That was why he got the flag. But, but, I mean, he definitely finished that block. And that kind of – the run kind of bounced – over there where if he doesn't do that, maybe he doesn't know Dokes is going to kind of get hit a little bit and bounce it more to the left. He doesn't know that's going to happen. So if he doesn't do that, maybe he gets, you know, hit that guy makes the tackle. Yeah. And I mean, everybody can sit there and say, Oh, that's a stupid penalty. Why do you do that? You, when you're out there on the field and you take another grown man and you put all your weight, on top of him and you go flying and he goes flying. There's no other feeling like it. I think a lot of people think of us offensive line. They're just big dumb idiots that like to headbutt <laughs> each other. And you know what? We are, but <laughs> when you take another man and you put him on his back, there is no better feeling. And I totally understand the wanting to stand over him and, and, and flex on him. Well, it's, like, it's fourth down. You yeah. Know, that's a huge touchdown right behind you, like ran right behind him. You scored, you know, he moved him out of the way against his will. And sometimes you just, you want to celebrate. And, and let that guy know that your job was to stop this and you didn't come close. Absolutely. I mean, you, he might've gotten a 15 yard penalty, but you know, that guy's never going to let that go. He's going to remember that. He's going to remember the day that he got ran over for a touchdown for the rest of his life. So let, let's hypothetically take take you inside that play. You get a 15-yard penalty on a touchdown. Um, the, the kickoff goes back 15 yards, 
and then your kicker kicks it 80 yards out of the end zone. Uh, how much love do you have for that kicker when he comes back to the sidelines? Oh, I mean, you can't. That's he just he just covered your butt. You got you, <laughs> you got. I mean, you got to take him out of or something. You you can't just let that one slide. <laughs> um, take me inside the mind of Des Ritter. Uh, you know, you he was redshirt freshman. We had heard his entire freshman year that he kind of had a leadership quality about him uh, where guys just kind of gravitated to him, even though he wasn't on the field. He comes in the third series of the UCLA game, and he's really never looked back. Uh, What was your uh, take on Dez, seeing him as a young guy and then seeing, you know, he's had his ups and downs, and uh, everybody's favorite player is the the backup quarterback. Um, (laughs) And at one point in time, Dez was the backup quarterback who was everybody's favorite player. But what have you seen from Des and, and what did you see from him maybe against SMU that that said, okay, this is this guy's coming into his own a little bit here? You know, since since uh since Des became my quarterback, um he he'd always been that quiet guy. Um he would spoke he spoke when he needed to, but he really was kind of just a leader by how hard he worked. Um it, it was tough sometimes. Sometimes you're, you're unsure of him uh, when he's not having a great game because sometimes in the huddle he would be too quiet. He wouldn't say anything, and you felt like you couldn't say anything to him. I think now what I'm seeing from him is all that pressure that's been on him since he played, since he started as a freshman, I think he's finally starting to realize that that all that pressure isn't just on him. That's on the whole team, and he doesn't have to bear that. You know, he can he can share that load, and I think he's finally starting to to feel a little more comfortable and not be afraid of failure. I think that's why he's he's able to you know he saw a little more success against SMU because I think people. I mean, I, I'm in the Bearcat Country Facebook group. I see what those guys are saying about him. It's ruthless. I I don't I don't want to you know I don't want any UC fan to talk about any player like that because the the amount of stress that, that these guys are under is just insane. I mean, you can be critical of somebody, but I don't think you should say, you know, don't go on, on social media and say, Oh, he's trash. And he needs to get replaced. Give the guy a chance. I know he's had a lot of chances and he hasn't sold somebody, but you know what? I'm completely sold on Desiree now after SMU. If he keeps playing like that, they're going to go undefeated. I wanted to, to touch on something that, I think is maybe the most underrated addition of the the roster addition of the Luke Fickle era. Uh, Going into your senior year, that summer was pretty uncertain in terms of who was going to be where on the offensive line. You were potentially going to be a tackle. Didn't know which tackle, but you were going to be a tackle. Um, Didn't know where Garrett was going to play, who was going to be the center, who was going to be a guard. And then one addition. And they bring in Dino Boyd. You put him at left tackle. And, I, and the reason I bring this up is because it, we have seen something similar with James Hudson this year. Yeah. That when you have your left tackle, everything else kind of falls into place. Dino walked into that room. Dino didn't say a whole lot at first. Um, I know you guys got him out of his shell a little bit uh, privately, but even publicly, uh, he didn't say a whole lot once he got here. But he was such an important part of that team. I think getting to 11 wins 
And he might be the one guy that, that doesn't get any talk on that team, really, as we look back, that probably should get more because that's a whole different offensive line room if Dino doesn't come in and solidify left tackle uh, basically from the day he got here. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Dino's my guy. I love him so much. Um, we used to <laughs> – I don't know where we got it from. Uh, we would – whenever whenever Gary and I saw Dino, we would, you know, do the little – the weird head bob like Kramer always does from Seinfeld when he'd walk <laughs> into a room, and we'd call him Tito. So we'd go, Tito! And he started doing it back to us. And we – I mean, I think that's really where he started coming out of his shell when we were – we would just goof off with him and – he would start doing it back, but, and he was a quiet guy. So we got to the point actually where I had no idea people were coming off the edge at first. Like I didn't know there was a corner blitzing because he wouldn't say anything to me. Well, then we got to the, <laughs> we got to the point where Dino would reach out and he would poke me with one, one finger, singular finger, poke me on the arm. And I would look out to him and he would just look at me and shake his head. And I would know, Oh, all right. We got somebody coming off the edge. And then I'd make the call for him. He's just not a very loud guy. Great football player. I mean, I, I, I don't know how he did it because he wasn't the strongest one on the offensive line, but his pass pro punch, I mean, it hurt. He was good. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing to find that guy. Where was he? Rhode Island? Or Yeah, Rhode yeah. Island. Amazing to find a guy like that, at, you know, as a grad transfer at Rhode Island. And nobody knew how good he was going to be when he got here. And like you said, he was quiet. So when he got here, it was kind of like, I don't know if this is really the answer that they were looking for at left tackle. Yeah. And before you, I mean, that UCLA game was, was proof enough. I thought immediately uh, he goes on the road in the Rose bowl and, and was rock solid. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got you, you've got Garrett, you've got Dino um, Morgan. And mm -hmm. it instantly uh, made for, uh, a rock solid offensive line that really was uh, a piece of that 2018 team that doesn't get talked about much. I, I have a question though. Yeah. H have you seen a picture of Jake Renfro? I saw the uh, uh, one, one thing. I mean, I saw him before the game standing there and this dude looked like, I mean, he was, he was massive. I, have you seen a I, picture of his face? No. Okay. While we're doing this, go to gobearcats.com pull up a picture of his face and tell me that's not Morgan James son. It is uncanny how much he looks like Morgan James. They actually call him Mojo in the <laughs> offensive line. And if, you know, if, if Morgan was maybe three years older, he, he could be Jake Renfro's dad. <laughs> it is unbelievable have you noticed it dave have you seen it a picture of it uh we've talked about it but i don't know if i've actually noticed it that is a baby face morgan james it's his kid <laughs> or it's like his nephew like yes. it, it is unbelievable how much yes. that looks like morgan james it is <laughs> it is uncanny if Morgan if Morgan found a way to stick around for another year, those two next to each other would have really freaked some people out. Oh yeah, <laughs> dad and son on the offensive line. Um, <laughs> I don't want to keep you too long, but let's get into. Uh, you're looking to leave Ohio State. Luke Fickle has come to Cincinnati. This was basically a no brainer for you, wasn't it? I mean, um, I'll let the, the the people in on a little bit of a secret. 
your dad <laughs> was uh, was scouting Cincinnati and uh, and hit me up. I, I knew your dad. Like me and your dad were best friends before I ever met you. Yeah. Um, but he was, you know, he was he was scouting Cincinnati, and it was pretty clear uh, that this was something that was going to happen. My daughter's phone's going off in the background. Sorry, I'm sure that is very loud. Um, she's grounded, so her phone's up here. Sorry. Um, what was it that, that you were so confident in Luke that that you had faith in uh, what he was doing and knowing that this is where you wanted to be? And then how close were you to thinking, boy, I might have messed up <laughs> in that four, four and eight first season? Uh, so when I was at Ohio State, um, I, I knew that I had to transfer. I graduated. They told me I wasn't going to play no matter what. Um, terrible situation for me. I, you know, I, I went to my dream school. Didn't work out the way, you know, some would have wanted it. But I always say I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. I, I don't, you know, don't want it to go any other way. But. Yeah, I, I knew that I had to transfer. Um, Coach Fickle, actually, I, I approached him one day, pulled him into, pulled him into his own office, and asked if if I could follow him to Cincinnati. Um, and immediately he looked at me. He's like, "Absolutely." And then periodically after practice, when he wasn't working, you know, on Ohio State stuff, I would we would have conversations. And he sat me down a few more times and, and he was like, well, I just want to make sure that you actually still want to play football. You're not just coming for a degree. And I mean, you know, like, absolutely. I still want to play football. Like I, I want to follow you because when I was at Ohio state, you know, he's a defensive coordinator. So this, the scout team, which I was basically the captain of since I was a three year scout team starter, baby, let's go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, he, he team gets a ring. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I've, I've got a few. I could show them off, but uh, <laughs> but he uh, he would always come to me and be like, "Hey, I think that you know these guys on the scout team O line aren't doing well. I need you guys to do this better for me." So I knew, you know, how he coached because obviously I was you know the scout team and he's in charge of the scout team and and I knew what he was what he was bringing to the table. I think honestly, it, it took more for him to allow me to come with him, and he could have easily wasted a spot on me if I was a bum. But I'm glad that he gave me the opportunity, um, you know, because I think I knew what he was bringing to the table. But I think for him, I might have been a wild card. He didn't really know what I had. I, I, you know, I think I had shown some some ability in practice and stuff. And I, I think when I got on the field at Ohio State, I did fine as well. But I wasn't a starter, you know. I was an inconsistent guy. I was kind of a dummy. So, yeah, we knew that. that. <laughs> the, fact that he, the fact that he took a chance on me, I think it's great. Dave, you got anything else? Uh, just a fun one. Who that you've gone up against, whether it be in practice, well, more so game, did like for the game just whipped you? And then who on the other side of it did you just basically dominate? You can tell us about all the times you dominated Cortez, right? <laughs> oh man, I, I won't say Cope because because <laughs> Cope might beat you up. Cortez would laugh. Oh my might... goodness, no! I mean, I I, 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 there's nobody harder to block on the run than 
Marquise Coburn. No, nobody in America. He was unmovable. It, it was insane. I don't know how he did it. I, I mean, in practice, I hated blocking him. I could never – I always looked like a potato. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how he does it. He was uh, in games. I don't know uh, who I blocked the best. Oh, I got it. What? Oh, I can't remember his name. It had to have been um, – I think the person I did the best against was actually my senior year, uh, ECU. That uh, running back that they converted to uh, defensive end. Oh, yeah. Like Har- Harvey, he was like leading the nation in sacks or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, I ate his lunch. Nate Harvey, I think. That was – I loved that game. I thought that that was great for, you know, for film for me because I was moved from – from left guard to right tackle that game. And I had to block, you know, this, the, the leading sacker in the nation or whatever. And there I was locking him up. I think I got a few cakes on him. Um, good player. I just, you know, I was 320 pounds and could move like I was 220. He's, he was 220 and move like he was 220. So it was tough <laughs> for him, you know, <laughs> but you're not, you're, you know, two years removed from college now. Where, where, what's the status of the bromance with Gary Campbell? <laughs> Gary and I, <laughs> Gary and I have started uh, golfing together. We're getting kind of old. Uh, can't really do any like, you know, super active things. So we decided, to, <laughs> we decided to go suck at golf together. So that's fun. We're, we're getting into that. Um, I still text them all the time. You know, sometimes we'll go a few weeks without texting each other, but then we'll get right back into it. Uh, I got so much love for that guy. And like, you know, I'd love to talk about our relationship and funny things we did at Cincinnati, but honestly, nobody on here would understand. Like, just like the the stupid things that we would say, you know, like calling, calling Dino Tito. Like we, we would crack us up for no reason. Absolutely no reason. I don't, I think it's, you, you spend so much time with, with someone in a locker room and, and then you sleep with them in a hotel room and then you are at practice with them. And then you're, you're lifting buddies and you're just, you know, you're, you develop this weird sense of humor, and it was it was all inside jokes that are really hard to to explain, you know. <laughs> but I, I got I got nothing but love for that guy. Well, you are uh, you, you're you're in the process of of making it big on Twitch at the moment, so I I, I want to let you uh, to get a chance to plug the Twitch channel Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights. Uh, I pop in what maybe once every week or two. I'll pop yeah. in and. We'll chat some Bearcats and uh, who is there's a couple former offensive linemen that are in there regularly. Uh, who who comes in and heckles you? So uh, Tyler Cogswell, he's okay. on the offensive line, but he does right. come in and heckle me all the time. Um, and then uh, I know there are a few other guys that that stream like uh, Blake Yeager and uh, yeah. Zach Bazinski. Talk about um, a guy marrying out of his league. I thought you <laughs> married out of his league, Blake. Holy cow. You know how many times I've asked Jordan, like, are you sure? Him? <laughs> oh, man, he's funny. He's a good dude. He, <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't – he must have prayed really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Plug the stream, though. Where can they find you? Uh, what are the hours they can find you? And uh, what kind of content can they look for, uh, including eight-year-old uh, – our, our RPO games. 
<laughs> All right, so my my stream name is the Bench Jockey. Uh, you know, I got that from obviously riding the bench at Ohio State, so got to rep that. Um, that's I stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday from eight to ten p.m. Um, follow me on Twitter at the Bench Jockey, uh, and I'll make any updates there. Um, I like to stream. I stream a lot of stuff. A lot of smaller games. I've been playing some Lord of the Rings online. So if you're a big uh, Tolkien fan, we can talk about some elves and orcs and goblins and hobbitses. Uh, but uh, I do a lot. I like to, to chat with people, talk football, talk video games, talk about whatever and, and play. So hit me up. Monday night's good night to come in after the Bearcats play on Saturday. Come in on Monday and you get Kyle Trout giving you uh, expert analysis. Uh, while he plays video games. Absolutely. And sometimes it gets tough. I'm telling you, it's too much brain power. (laughs) (laughs) You got me thinking and trying to play. (laughs) All right, brother. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, man. Love the stories and uh, always enjoy catching up with you. And uh, unlike Garrett, we'll have you back soon. (laughs) All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle Trout, former offensive lineman for the Bearcats. Ohio State transfer and uh, was here for the first two years of the Luke Fickle era and uh, love having him on. Go watch the stream, the bench jockey. It's good stuff. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, Dave. Um, that, uh, that covers, that covers the, uh, the rehashing and then the, the first segment of the show, which I, I love Kyle. Kyle's always a guy. Oh, that, it's great. Uh, Great sense of humor, uh, great perspective on things, um, understands, like, I mean, you spend three years as the working on the scout team. That's not an easy existence. And no. uh, so, so he appreciated <laughs> the fruit of his labor here at UC and seeing that thing come together. And that's the blind faith a lot of guys have in Luke Fickle, man. We saw quite a few Ohio State transfers when he came down here. We're seeing, seeing it in recruiting right now. Uh, they want to go to war for that guy, and Kyle Trout was one of the first. Absolutely, I thought he got, gave some good, good offensive line knowledge, some good stuff on Coach Crook. It was uh, definitely a good guest to have. All right, let's get to Memphis. The the number twenty six Memphis Tigers come to town. Hopefully, they will able to uh, be able to find the stadium uh, on Saturday. <laughs> after not being allowed to have a walkthrough tomorrow. Uh, unfortunately, the four inches of rain we got today uh, made lighting the field on Thursday difficult. <laughs> uh, look, this comes down to, I think, the, the Memphis defense is bad. Um, they they have not They're been not good great. so far this year. I mean, what, going into last week, they were last in the country statistically on defense. They still are. They're last in the country. The dead last. By total, no, by total yards. Total yards. Yes, they've so, given up a boatload of yards. 567 per game to be exact. Now, obviously, we're dealing with, like, weird sample sizes and, and stuff like that. And they probably are, def, are probably hurt by the fact that they've played UCF and SMU so far. But, yeah, still, 567 is a lot. Um they're really, really bad against the pass. They actually haven't been that bad against the run. Um, rush defense is 33rd in the country. They're giving up about 3.6 yards a carry. 
comparing that to UC, like UC's given up 3.16 yards a carry. They force turnovers, and they have gotten to the quarterback. So they've kind of been a – I'm not even going to say bend but don't break, but they've been an opportunistic defense. They're not a unit that is going to string together stops. They're going to be totally reliant on getting to the quarterback and causing turnovers. And that's going to – I mean, it, really – the 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 path to victory is not a whole lot different than what we talked about with SMU last week. I mean, it's it really isn't. Um, I mean, their defense, though, from an SP plus standpoint, it's only five spots worse than what SMU's was going into this game. Uh, and then their offense is two spots better, but their defense has some. Really alarming numbers. Yards per play, 88th in the country. Passes of 30-plus yards allowed, 95th in the country. 97th in opponents' first downs allowed. And then their last also in passing defense. I mean, that's just a yardage play. But even considering the two really good offenses they've played, last week against Temple, Anthony Russo threw the ball 63 times, which is just Unbelievable. Uh, 387, four touchdowns. He also had three interceptions. So like I was saying, they were down at half, and they had this, I'm not going to say weird, but they had a seven-play string where they forced two turnovers and scored two touchdowns. And that was basically the game right there. They ended up winning 42-29. Um, but yeah, it's this is their offense against UC's defense. And I will say that for as good as their offense can be in for as good as Brady White can be. This is not anywhere near offensively what UC played last year. And last year, even in two losses, they scored 34 and 29 points. And the 29 points, six of it came with a minute 14 left, and which gave them the lead uh, in the conference championship game. So with that offense last year, for 58 and a half minutes, UC held them to 23 points. Um, they're obviously everybody should know what Brady White is at this point. He's, we've played him twice and he's been there a while. Rodriguez Clark is their leading back. He's the leading rusher in the American averages a little over hundred a game. Calvin Austin is their leading receiver last two games. He's on fire nine for 151 and two touchdowns against UCF. And six for 184, and I think a touchdown against Temple. But this is my stat that I – it was hard to believe when I started thinking about this. In the two games last year against UC, taking Brady White out of the equation, how many returning rushing and receiving yards do you think they have that are playing in this game? Well, I know two of their main – wide receivers now are redshirt freshmen, right? And then uh, Gainwell is gone, taking a year off. Coxy is gone. Uh, I'll go 16 returning Six. yards per game. Calvin Austin had one catch for four yards in the conference championship, and that is the only rushing or receiving yardage that has played against UC. Wow. So, while they're great offensively, 
None of these guys have any idea what they're getting into on Saturday outside of Brady White. And he can't run the ball and he can't make sure somebody catches it. And the difference being Cincinnati knows that scheme now basically like the back of their hand. And, and they do. And, and you, great, they you, didn't do – like I'm willing to bet without looking back that the 34 and 29 points were two of, two of the lowest or the two lowest point totals that they had last year. So I'm not – I don't want to say I'm not worried. I just don't – I don't see their defense, especially against the pass. Um, okay, so uh, their first game of the year was Mississippi last year. That was 15-10. to 10. Okay. So that probably was the only one then, if I had to guess. 55, 42, 35, 52 – uh Temple held them to 28. Remember, Temple beat them 30 to 28. Uh, that yeah. was their their one AAC loss. And then 47, 42, 54, 45, 49, and then 34 and 29. UC. And uh, but after that that Temple game, they got on a roll. 47, 42, 54, 45, 49. Yeah. Uh, and then slowed down by Cincinnati twice. Uh, and they even they scored 39 on Penn State. In the yeah. bowl game, in the Cotton Bowl. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Freeman has had success against that that offense, and uh, you give Marcus Freeman the knowledge that he has of Memphis now, and an entire off season to have that stew in his brain on how to defend them. I, I feel pretty good about Marcus Freeman in that in that matchup. I I do too. I mean, it's just. I think what we're seeing with this defense is that they are, I mean, the Memphis coach said it, they have the best defensive line linebackers and defensive backs in the conference. Yeah. And they also said they they have the best offensive line in the conference. So um, I, it's just a different, like when you can realistically hold your defense up against a Georgia, a Clemson, you know, whoever you want to say is like the best defense and you take opponent out of it. And I just, while these are good offenses, they're not Alabama. They're not Clemson. They're not Ohio state. And I just have a hard time thinking that like, if like we talked about with SMU, if if it gets into the thirties, it could be a problem. How is anybody getting into the 30s? Turnovers. Right. Short short fields. I mean, how is another offense scoring four touchdowns without short fields yeah. against this defense? It's very it's going to be very difficult. Especially with the way that they've played in the red zone. And that's not a mistake. Like we saw that last year, too. Yeah. You've got to score from 30, 40 yards out. And they're you, and Memphis you, is very very good offensively in the red zone, but yes. can they get there? They'll they'll have it, chances. And you, I mean, yeah, SMU had five. They scored one touchdown. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the little you know. That's where the difference was. I thought in, in a lot of ways last year was when Memphis got to the red zone, they were able to put the ball in the end zone uh, more than most had at least against right. Cincinnati. Um, you know, a couple other things defensively, their best corner, TJ Carter is day to day. He hasn't played the last two weeks. It doesn't 
I don't think he'll play. Um, Jacoby Francis is, is a pretty good DB. Other than that, it's been kind of a mess for them. Uh, Sanchez Blake, their safety, who was one of their better defensive players last year, and probably they lost a good amount of defense from last year to this year. He, only, he had one tackle last week, and I noticed just kind of like digging through Twitter, someone was asking another person that covers them like what happened to him, and they didn't get a response. So I don't know if he's not been playing well, if he's injured. Um, but this is a game, the weather looks like it'll be fine. Um, mid-50s. Yeah, mid-game, I mean, nothing, mid-50s, nothing crazy. Sunny. No rain, no crazy wind. I mean, it doesn't. This is a game that I would imagine that they would want to try to start similarly to the SMU game. We're getting Des into you, a rhythm. Yeah. You think they'd um, like to go up 14 nothing? Because you know they're good. Yes, I, I think they would like that too. <laughs> but, I mean, you know SMU – or not SMU. Memphis is thinking, like, we've been good against the pretty good against the run, and that's what this team does. So we can't just get gashed in the pass. But I don't know – like, I don't know. If we don't hit, throw the ball to them a bunch of times, or fumble it's tough it. to see. You're right. And then how we talked about last week with you have to get off to a fast start because of SMU's first quarter. It's almost it's the exact opposite. This game, Memphis has gotten off to incredibly slow starts in every game and somehow come back and won all of them. Last week they were down fifteen to ten at half. They scored seven points in the first quarter, except and SMU. No, even SMU they were down. At half. Yeah, but they didn't win. Oh, they didn't win, right? But they I mean they made it. You know, it was a three point game. But they scored three points in the first quarter in the SMU game. They scored seven in the first quarter against UCF and was were down twenty seven to fourteen and thirty five fourteen with eleven minutes left. I have no idea how you UCF threw that game away. Um, and then against Arkansas State in the opener, they scored seven. So they're averaging six points in the first quarter. So Yeah, ho- hopefully you know, they don't and, do what Cincinnati did to SMU. <laughs> where right, you, been- you see that they can't do that again because UC's defense, if you score six points in the first quarter and you're down, four, say you're down 14-6, in the second quarter, you're, you know, it's just going to be super hard to all of a sudden start moving the ball enough to score a bunch of touchdowns because their yeah, defense I mean, isn't going to be good enough to, to keep like these defenses aren't good enough. Even take the two touchdowns away in the last five minutes. It was still 28, 13 at the end of the third quarter. If it's 28, 13 again, I mean, you th- you think they're just going to score two touchdowns and tie it up without UC scoring on their de- – it's just it's hard to see. So how much do you think Des having the success – because football's reactionary. What coaches are going to see is they're going to see Des rushed for 179 yards and Memphis is going to, to be doing uh, everything possible to stop that. How much does that open up what else this offense can do? Oh, it should open up a lot because we saw a lot more RPO. You know, we saw more, I would say, off-tackle runs with the running backs. Dez up the middle, which is what it should be. 
Um, yeah, if you're if you're gonna concentrate on stopping him, it, it's gonna leave some area of the field open in the passing game. Um, I mean, it's as long as I, I mean we say this every week, but like the offense doesn't have to be, you know, 2019 LSU. It just can't give just carelessly give the ball to the other team. Right. Because these, uh, these defenses aren't good enough. Right. What what was your take on the return of Alec Pierce? Well, it was good, good first game back. I mean, he ran several different routes, uh, you know, had two, three catches, ran the go route. I think it's it was a fine Fine performance getting him back into the mix in a game that you jumped out early and ran the ball for 300 and something yards. So it wasn't going to, there wasn't going to be a lot of opportunities, but right. I thought he took advantage of the ones that, that were given to him. You know, and it's funny looking at you go back to the South Florida game and everybody thought it was fickle throwing Denbrock under the bus saying we need to, you know, scheme it up a little bit better. We need to do things that make more Des more comfortable. And then you watched the scripted portion of the plays on Saturday night, and you went, "Oh, that's what he meant, <laughs> right?" Yeah, I mean, they, that on one of the touchdown drives in the, I think it was the first quarter, it's third and two. You know, RPO easy stop route, five yard stop route for Pierce, first down. I mean. The plays are there to be made. You just have to make them. I'm like, you know, they're there in the passing game. They're there. They just have to be made. And a confident Des does that. A Des that is getting down on himself seems to uh, not be as reliable, (laughs) if you will. Right. Um, What else stands out to you on this one? How's Memphis on special teams? Uh, they're, they're fine. They have good, I think they have a good, they've always had punter, a good place kicker, good punter kicker, nothing. There's no like glaring, uh, nothing glaring that jumps out. That would be like a huge advantage for them or anything. Um, got word today, Charles McClellan done for the season, tore his right ACL, uh, which is the opposite of what happened last year, right before the season when he tore his left ACL. Generally, I think that's going to mean more Ryan Montgomery. Um, but it, it hurts not just in, in giving the offense a change of pace guy, but he had become a really critical part of their special teams with his speed. Um, so that, was, that the one play was, he got hurt on was punt coverage in yeah. the fourth quarter. He was the first one down there, which the, you had made – someone had made this mention, and you had made a mention of their field being – not awesome. That's what I was going to ask you. I noticed re-watching the game. When they toe-tap, like, when they were toe-tapping the sand. Like, yeah. sand, what, what is up with that? They, do, they don't have enough rubber infill in the, in the turf. Because that, those, that turf, basically what it is, is it's carpet and then sand mixed with rubber. Now, what you generally see when guys change direction or guys toe-tap or whatever uh, is the rubber come up because there's there's supposed to be more rubber than sand. 
Now, well, I'm not saying video. that was why that happened, but no. it was just weird to see that because you just don't see that. Yeah. No, I had a couple players hit me up and complain um, saying that it was it was all sand. There was no – there was hardly any rubber uh, in that playing surface down there. Um, I don't know if that's a, a matter of it being old and, and things settle and things set the field settling, or I don't know what, cause you're supposed thought, to do maintenance thought, on like, that. Every year you're supposed to put new rubber down. You're supposed to do that. So I was saying, you're supposed to do maintenance on that to where you, uh, take care of the, the infill, uh, in the, in the turf, but it did not look like that was the case at SMU. That was, and you're right. I went back and, and after it was pointed, I didn't notice it live, but after it was pointed out to me going back and looking when there were, when there were, when stuff flew up from the turf, which is inevitable with field turf, it was sand. It wasn't rubber. Yeah. I think I noticed it, but while you're watching the game live, you're, you're more focused on other things. So it like wasn't right. something that I made a note of to, to remember, but yeah, it was just cause it's not anything you really see. The other one, Bruno LaBelle, listed as day-to-day by Fickle in his weekly press conference. Um, I think that one's going to be interesting. If I had to guess, I think that one's going to be uh, a short period of time that they're going to be out with, with without Bruno LaBelle. But the way this training staff has uh, worked miracles, you never know. We, we've seen some guys that it looked like they were going to be out, and next thing you know, they're they're back on the field the next week. Um it, it was not. Think, it was not. Sur- there was no surgery, to my understanding. Who do you think will be starting at center this week? I think that's uh, going to depend. Game, game time decision. <laughs> I think it's honestly because my like from what I saw Tuesday, they were splitting reps. Um, I think that's going to be a matter of who practices better this week. Right. And you know we'll see from there. They they've got. They got an interesting decision to make there because Jakari has been solid at center for two years. This is year three. Um, but Renfro's got the makings of a kid that long term can be a, a all conference, you know, NFL type center. That is a monster of a young man to to consider. He was a senior in high school somewhere last year. Right, and I mean it's one game, but. It was the best the running game has been. And not just because of two two rushes that went for like almost like 130 yards. Right. I mean, there were still several runs by Dokes and Ford that, you know, 10, 15, 20 yard runs. And the pass protection didn't drop off. So I don't, I mean, I don't, it's a good problem to have, but you wonder how much like, how much back and forth do you want to do? Like, Right. Well, I, I mean, the one thing I would say that, that seemed significantly different to me was the velocity of the snaps. Yeah. Jakari seems to get a little bit of air on, the, on his snap. Renfro, that thing was like a bullet shot out of a cannon coming from the line of scrimmage. Which, you know, in a, in a game of split seconds, that half a second that the ball gets there quicker is kind of a big deal, is it not? You know, probably, yeah. probably should ask Kyle that, but especially if you're running like RPO stuff or quarter yeah. or quarterback draw type stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's it's a tough call. I I know like 
from from talking to Coach Crook in the offseason, I know there was a lot of sentiment of like, look, we're we're pretty good where we're at right now. But then you start looking around the room and you see Renfro and you see Woodside and you see O'Quinn and you see Mendiola and you see John Williams and and then you know you even get to Kobe McAllister and you get to Gavin Gerhardt and all of a sudden you're like, man, we got all these guys for like four and five and with COVID, who knows, six. Like <laughs> you're looking at that offensive line room all of a sudden and what was two years ago, how do we get to five guys? I mean, we just talked about that with Kyle. That offensive line in 2018 was in complete flux until the day Dino Boyd arrived, which if I recall correctly, I think Dino got here like the week before camp. Yeah. Because he had to he had to graduate in the summer from Rhode Island to get his degree to be a grad transfer. Um boy, Ron Crook is working with a, you know, and I, I still think there's they they've got some things to figure out tackle wise if they don't have Harper and Hudson next year. Because that's, I mean, let's be honest, that's that's where this line is significantly different than than last year. Is you're as good, what would what was the stat that was put out this week? Hudson hasn't allowed a pressure since the Austin P game, like 155 snaps, 151 yeah. snaps, something like that, without without a pressure on the quarterback from the blind side from your left tackle. But that's good. Watching what they do with center this week is going to be very, very interesting, very telling. Um, because it's either going to say, look, Jakari's our guy, but now we have confidence in the young guy. Or it's going to say, look, Jake Renfro, this is your football for the next four years. So it'll be interesting to see what direction that goes in. I have some interesting national college football breaking news. Okay. I mean, everyone will listen to this and already know it, but Trevor Lawrence has tested positive for COVID. Ooh. And the ACC's rule is isolation for 10 days, which means if he tested positive today, he would miss next week's game, which is against Notre Dame. Yikes. Yeah, I'm just now I just now hit refresh on the old Twitter machine. So breaking news on a podcast you'll listen to later and already know. Yeah. If Lawrence got his if Lawrence got his positive today, his isolation would end November eighth, the day after Clemson plays Notre Dame. Yes. So this is why we keep talking about just keep winning. Yeah. Because you never know what's going to happen. In the year of COVID, I mean, you see what happened with, no idea. You see what happens with Wisconsin, the Big Ten's goofy 21-day rule, and you just don't know. Just be the last man standing, right? Exactly. Just be the last man standing. Well, that certainly uh, – that certainly changes the landscape up a little bit. It could. Without it could. question. <laughs> but it, it, it throws a monkey wrench into things nationally, that's for sure. Yeah. And that'll that'll be the only story you hear about tomorrow on the national mm-hmm. news, which you know, it's it's one thing if it's Wisconsin. It's yes. another thing if it's Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. Number one well, team in the country and yeah. 
yeah, number one no, player in the say, country. I wouldn't say prohibitive favorite, but one of the the main favorites to win the national championship. And the number one pick. Right. Who knows? Uh, so so what what's your what's your take? We'll get your prediction tomorrow. What is your your take on Cincinnati and Memphis? What did I say? Last week I said my my reaction the next morning would be jubilation. And it was. And it was. Uh, this week, I will say, I will be. Uh, What's the line? Six and a half is what it opened? It's, I think it's, I've seen seven, six and a half, six. I think SP Plus has them bigger than that and covering like in the eight range, maybe. Um I'm going to go with satisfaction. I think it'll be okay. a satisfying outcome. You think Marcus Freeman and the troops are, uh, they have the, they have last year stored in their memory banks. I, I Sure. I don't think it matters. The defense is just damn good. I mean, that's, that's only, that only adds to things, how we know how this team operates. And the way these coaches coach, like that's, that's just icing on the cake, so to speak. I, I do think it's going to be a good Halloween afternoon in Clifton. And then you get ready for what, you know, we, we thought coming into the season could be a bit of a trap game with Houston coming to town, which you can get a better feel for them, hopefully, a little bit this week. I still they're don't playing, have a feel for them. They're pretty good. They are. But, yeah, they are. One, game at, one game at a time. All right. You got anything else you want to talk about? You want to hit on a little basketball? Or should we save that and, and do maybe a separate or just a, a extended podcast with basketball once we get the schedule? I I, I – until we get the schedule, I just don't even know. You know, I mean, are they, yeah, are they gonna are they gonna play? <laughs> right. I can say there are there is some validity to the report from Matt Norlander uh, on Monday night that that they're looking into a uh, MTE situation in Indianapolis with Loyola of Chicago. Loyola of Chicago was set to be one of the teams they were going to play. Uh, in Orlando, they were 21 and 10 or something along those lines last year, and they return all five starters. So it would, to a T, match the analytics that John Brandon is looking for because you would think that would be at worst a tier two neutral game uh, if you play Loyola in Indianapolis. And as Mo Egger said today, uh, great, a week of Sister Jean leading up to the game. She's still alive. Yeah, yeah. Good for her. Still, still kicking. Good for um, her. Did you have anything basketball after? Did you get a chance to watch the the presser from yesterday, or was there anything that uh, stood out to you? I watched Coach Brandon speak. Sounds like he likes his squad, but he even made a point of mentioning it. It's kind of the. It's all about experience and leadership. Just and he made a point to mention the football team. Yeah. 
and we talked about that in the offseason, was how much of an advantage would this team have because of the crazy schedules and just the unknown of it from a week-to-week basis, having guys that have been through it before, having staff that's been together, coming off a season that they did, having expectations, and it's kind of the opposite. Like, I like a lot of the pieces, but you just have no idea how it's going to work out when you are replacing, you know, a guy that you could always throw it to if you needed a bucket, and the guy that kept everything together and was the hardest-playing guy on the team. Yeah, I I think DeJulius will – you know, obviously a different role than Trey Scott. Um, DeJulius, I think, will step in there as the hardest playing guy on the team. And, you know, I think it's interesting when that guy is your point guard um, because it does set a tone. But, um, I mean, who knows? Like, the the one thing I took away was uh, that was a lot more confident than I've ever seen Keith Williams in in a media setting. Not that that means anything. But... I thought Keith was uh, engaging and I thought it was a good look from Keith in terms of, you know, heading into what his mentality is like, what his mindset is heading into his senior season. So, you know, I took that away. I, Chris, Chris vote is Chris vote. Um, I like that. He said, when I asked, I asked about them being picked to finish fourth and, his response was, when's the last time Cincinnati's finished any lower than third? I was like, that's, you know, yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. That's where I would have, I would have had him third. Yeah. No I, argument. I mean, there's, you look at the teams outside of Houston, there's a lot of new faces. Uh, right. Up and down the league. From the you know just there's a few guys few of the better players returning but for the most part after Houston everybody kind of lost their better guys. Caleb Mills was a unanimous first team selection and he didn't start last year. Yeah, and he went two for a hundred against Cincinnati at Cincinnati. Right. Now you know I've been a big Caleb Mills guy for a long time. I think they that was a a rather large swing and miss on that one, but what can you do? Um, but we'll get to more basketball once we have a schedule we can talk about. And and a, a conference schedule. We still have a conference schedule. <laughs> they uh. haven't finalized any. Like, we don't know anything about anything right now. And the season is literally a month away. Less than a month away. Good stuff. And we don't know shit. Sorry, Dan. Had to get one in. I opened the door for Trout on that. I, I gave him the uh, the rules on the sorry, Dan, and opened it up for him, but we, we didn't get any cuss words out of him. Oh, well. Watch party. Holy Grail. Noon on Saturday. Make sure you are there as the Bearcats take on the Memphis Tigers. Get you some Reuben wontons. Get you some nachos, pizza. Maybe a uh, a steak hoagie, and uh, watch the Bearcats. Watch the Bearcats take on the Memphis Tigers and look to back up what was very much a statement performance last Saturday. You back it up. You're on your noon ESPN. That's 
everybody talks about the primetime spots. Noon ESPN is a pretty big time spot coming right out of game day. Yeah. There's a lot of eyes on you at that point. For sure. Especially Ohio State, Penn State's, what, 730? Yeah, they're the night game. So you've got a chance to, to, to make an impression on a lot of people if you can control Memphis the way that they controlled SMU now. Uh, I think Brady White's a little bit of a different animal, but it's a similar situation. They're they're without a lot of their guys that that were their top guys. They're trying to fit other guys into those roles, and that is not going to be what happened with those guys fitting into new roles against Cincinnati. Dave, their arms got real short. Yeah, on offense, had, their had arms a few, got had real a few short. drops. A few drops. So. Uh, get to the grail, watch the game, cheer on the Bearcats, and uh, we'll see you back here next week. Can we? You think we can get back on a Wednesday schedule next week, or we've been kind of holding off here just to to make sure nothing sneaks in on us and we do a Wednesday podcast that's uh, a complete waste by Thursday I, morning. I would say, like, if we win Saturday, let's just keep keep the good times we'll keep, rolling. We'll keep Thursday rolling. <laughs> All right, no, no Memphis after dark, because uh, that game's going to be over at like three thirty, four o'clock. So yeah, uh, we'll pass on that one this week, and then three thirty kickoff for Houston. I love three thirty kickoffs; those are my favorite, oh, yeah. my absolute favorite. But all right, that's going to wrap it up. Huge thanks to Kyle Trout for joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, I love Kyle; he's a great guy. The bench jockey on Twitch. If you're a Twitch guy. Go catch Kyle on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 8 to 10 and, and talk some Bearcats with him. Uh, he loves to uh, to chat UC while he's playing seven-year-old uh, MMO video games. So, all right, Dave. I will uh, – we'll talk soon. All right. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.